Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. Grab a seat. What a good day to be in church. Glad you guys are here. Uh, you are the, you're the post-Easter Sunday crowd which you should definitely get props for that. Um, the Easter Sunday after, or the Sunday after Easter every year is one of those like, so who you think's coming this year? Um, and so glad you guys are here. I want to welcome my buddy Sean Weavers, who's here in the front row, um, hanging out with us this weekend, kind of helping us with, um, you know, God's doing a lot of really good things in our space and in this place um, as we run this race, um, just in case. Uh, I'm running out of words. So uh, I don't rhyme often, but when I do, it is amazing. Um, but, uh, but it's good to have Sean Weavers here. He and his family have become good friends for us. In fact, financially, we supported them as best we could for a little while in Colorado. And uh, they moved from A to Oklahoma to the Colorado Springs area. And now they're moving to Laurel, Mississippi. Anybody with any connections to Laurel, Mississippi? Anyone? Oh, John said he wants to go to hometown and be home. Yeah. So Laurel, Mississippi. And, um, and so they are taking over a church there. And Sean just has this knack for finding churches that have had a rough go and had some, some stuff. Because how many of you know the church is made up of people? And people have stuff. And um, Mary and I have stuff. I do. I have stuff. Meredith does not have stuff. Just me. I've, I might agree with that. And um, anyways, they are taking over church, and they, he has this knack for, he and his wife, Jen, amazing people, uh, of taking over churches and really bringing it back to life, bringing it back to health, and, uh, and so really praying for them in their journey. He's, uh, they'll be there by May. I think they'll be there. So um, they also, Colorado, they were, they were ready to give back to the South, and, uh, you know, those Oklahomans. So... Um, hey, it is still Easter, and I know I already mentioned that. Reminded, you know, as we sing that song, Be Lifted High, uh, when Jesus said that to his disciples, it was before he had been lifted to, on a cross. This is where you lift up Jesus. Now, I understand the second lifting, and he would have talked about this. The glorification of Jesus first happened here, and then happened at the Ascension, which happened just a few days before Pentecost. So this is where, in fact, in the old church paintings, you would see Jesus where? On the cross. And nowadays, you would see no one on the cross. But we, and, and of course he's not there, but we understand what Jesus did on the cross was start creation anew. Um, there's, a, there's a similarity. I'm reading a, a brilliant book called Jesus, A Theography. And uh, it talks about the similarity between God creating a bride out of the side of Adam and how, Jesus, how God also created a bride out of the side of Jesus on the cross. That he is beginning a new creation for us. That we might live in uh, his humanity. We talked about this last week. That uh, when Mary looks through tears and sees the gardener, right? Or thinks it's the gardener. And says, oh, if you took Jesus, please let me know where. Right? I, if you're the gardener and you're supposed to be taking care of this place, please, please let me know where you put Jesus. And the reference there is the idea that God created all of us to be those who sow seeds. To cultivate the soil. To bring life to the place that God has placed us, to not despise where we've been placed, but to cultivate where we've been placed. 
And that Jesus was the ultimate gardener. Jesus was the one who, who like the, the sower, I mean, think about this, right? The, the, the sower, the farmer sowing seeds. Jesus is the seed of the earth. He is the bread broken. He is all things for us. And so our vision here, if you're new with us, and even if you aren't, in case you've forgotten, our vision here is that people would see Jesus. It's plain and simple. We believe when you see Jesus, you see what life looks like. We see what humanity looks like. You see what love looks like. You see what creation is intended to be. Uh, one who won victory by dying, not calling other people to die. Uh, Jesus won it all um, and did it all. And by the way, Donnie, well done ad-libbing a song. That was great. I know it's not your own, but it was still good. We were all like, where are the words? But you were just going for it. And uh, you know what, though? No, Shane just lifted his hands. It's okay, dude. It wasn't there. It's fine. Um, I actually love that. I think far too often we rely on lyrics. Um, we rely on one-liners. We rely on whatever the dude up here said, that one thing. And I, I think it's great. Um, you should definitely listen to the guy that's up here. Um, but, but I think more than anything, um, God can meet us in the quiet spaces, yeah? God can meet us in the places where we have to begin to speak something we didn't already know. Amen? And so, hey, John chapter 20. Uh, John chapter 20. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited about today because in the lectionary, uh, it's, it, this is the assigned scripture. This is new for me. This year we've been in the lectionary, which is, means that there are thousands upon thousands of churches all over the world reading the exact same scriptures we're reading today. Psalm 133 is also part of that. And so we're in John 20. Now, what happens in John 20? John 20 is where a famous character who's been labeled probably unfairly uh, is, is trying to be uh, trying for faith, but is having a tough go at it. Uh, this is a guy named Thomas. If you've grown up in church, the way you know him is as Doubting Thomas, right? That's the only label he gets. Thomas, Doubting Thomas. It's not even in the Bible. Doubting is not in the Bible. It's just what we assigned to them. Labels can tend to be pretty lazy. Labels can be pretty, categorizing people is purely for the sake of being able to condemn them. Um, we, end up, we have ended up in a world right now where we assign labels to people so that we don't have to love them the same. If I can label you a certain person or type of person or a certain type of political thing or a certain type of vaccine person or a certain type of mask person, then I don't have to love you because you don't deserve it. And we label these, even when you talk about um, the church, there are people who assume a lot of things about the church based on labels. The, now, now, let's be very clear. The church is good at that too. Let's not be like, yeah, world, stop. We ain't so good at it either. Oh, they're that crowd. Yeah, we'll get to them. But right now, we're having our church time. And Jesus showed up in the temple courts and did what? Flip the tables to create more room for the people the Jews didn't think had space. That's the whole point. Jesus was coming to open up the opportunity for people to have life and life abundant. And so Jesus is that for us. We, we tend to label people Jesus tended not to. Or at the very least, he would look past the label. Uh, you know, we tend to forget, we always say this, but we, we tend to forget that Jesus ate at the table with Pharisees as much as he did with sinners. Jesus was there for everyone. Of course he had a little harder on Pharisees, but here's what we're going to find out in a minute. 
The people Jesus railed against the most are the people who said they had it all together and had figured everything out. The people who didn't ask questions were the ones Jesus was there to remind them, you, you don't have it all together. I came for the people who needed a doctor. I came for the people who were going, I don't know what to do with this. I'm, I'm broken. I'm hurt. There's cuts and bruises. What do I do? That's who Jesus came for. And so Jesus in this story, it's, I think it's a brilliant story. There's absolutely zero chance I cover everything that I want to cover, but I'm going to give it a go, and hopefully you guys will go with me. John chapter 20, and we're going to start in verse 19. John chapter 20, verse 19. And I'm not trying to skip over what happens in this first portion of Scripture, but I know that we're going to cover that uh, as we move into uh, Pentecost Sunday and what the church calendar would call ordinary time, which just means you go and live like Christ because that should be ordinarily what we do. All right, John chapter 20, verse 19 says, In the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because of their fear of the Jews. I want, you, I want you to remind, I just don't want you to ever forget. It's why we did the Good Friday service the way we did it. I don't want us to ever forget that these disciples were living in a place of desperation, of worry, because, and you'll see this in a moment based on Thomas's, some of Thomas's statements, um, they, they, they knew that they were next on the list. That if Jesus could die, so could they. If Jesus was the tip of the spear for this movement, they were what came next. And if they watched their Savior be crucified, their Messiah, their rabbi, then, then who would come next? Them. They would be next. They would be the people who would be chased down because uh, they wanted to end this movement. They wanted to shut it down before it took over. They failed. Uh, we are witnesses of that. Um, but that's what was happening. So they've got the door locked. And then Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace to you, which is what he says every time he shows up post-resurrection. Because this is a gospel of peace. Peace meaning completeness, wholeness. That's why you see in the Psalms, if you ever read them, you'll see words like shalom. It means to come together fully. And Jesus is saying, peace, it has been done. It's finished. You are whole. You are made complete in Christ Jesus. Peace to you. Having said this, they were also probably a little scared that he didn't use the door. Jesus said to, having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. That's key. That's important. He showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So what made them believe in Jesus? It wasn't that he, like, levitated through a door. I don't even know what you call that. Like, you just went through a door. Now, they're in their morning time. That's what would have happened. There's a seven-day period after someone you love died. They're in that seven-day period, and you would typically leave the door unlocked because people would just come in and love you and say, we're sorry, and give you something. That would be what would happen for seven days. You'd stay in your house, and people would show up at your house with gifts, with love, with care, with serving. But they had locked the door because they were afraid. So Jesus, Jesus kind of just did it anyways, Right? And that is one of the mysteries of Jesus in his resurrection body is the things that he did. There's a, a clarity that he was absolutely physically there, but there were some other things that he was able to do that we don't all fully understand. And so Jesus shows up in the midst of these people, says, peace to you. And Jesus said to them again, peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them. Let's go back to Genesis 2. God shaped Adam, and then what? Breathed. There's something about the breath, which is another way to say spirit. 
After saying this, he breathed on them and said, which I think, I don't know. Y'all, this is just the way I read the Bible. I feel like it would have been weird if Jesus leaned over and breathed on me. I just feel like that would have been a strange, like it's one of those where if it's someone you really deeply respect and you love and you care for, so you just let it happen. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like when Mary sees our little boys and she's like, oh, baby, God, like tries to squeeze them and they're like, stop. And it will never stop. It won't ever stop. And so that's, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I just think of Jesus like leaning over. <laughs> I don't think that's blasphemous. Y'all are like, oh, I'm not going to laugh because something could. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. Wow, the power given to people to release people, to let people go of hurt and pain, to say, I know what you've done, and I don't hold it against you. 1 Corinthians 13 is not just for weddings, and, and truthfully, it's the hardest one to read at weddings. You don't want to set the standard high. Read 1 Corinthians 13 at your wedding. Love keeps no record of wrong. Love endures all things, believes all things. But it is not arrogant. It is not boastful when it does something right. Love is, y'all really want to love people? Because it's not. But again, that's smashed in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, which is talking all about what? The Holy Spirit. He's not asking you to love because you're good at it. He's asking you to love in spite of the fact that you ain't always good at it. Because the Holy Spirit's with you. Amen? The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. There is a priority to certain ways that the Bible writes things. All right. Peace be to you. As the Father sent me, I send you. Breeze, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So I've got a lot more to cover, and we've just gotten into it. But one of the 12, Thomas, called twin. We don't know why he's called twin. We don't fully understand it. That's fine, though. But one of the 12, Thomas, was not with them when Jesus came the first time. So the other disciples kept telling him, we have seen Jesus. I promise you, we've seen it. I don't know if you've ever had someone tell you something you couldn't believe, but it's, right? We've seen him. He came back, and Thomas wasn't there. I don't know if he had his own private time of mourning, but he wasn't with the disciples with the locked door in the room. They don't know where he was. We don't know where he was, but he wasn't there. He was supposed to be there, and he wasn't there. And so he missed. And yes, you could maybe try to make an allusion to the idea that being disconnected from community will, at times, make you miss some things about Jesus, for sure. I don't think that's explicit, but I think as a good preacher, I could make that jump, okay? Uh, I do think, though, that sometimes we go from Christ to calling and forget community. Community is where character is formed. I don't need patience if you aren't around. And I know you can say it back to me. We don't need patience if we don't have any people. I don't need patience for Jesus. Uh, sometimes he takes a little while. But um, I, I need patience when I'm around people. I need kindness when I'm around people. I need love when I'm around people. I need peace when I'm around people. I need self-control when I'm on that little part where you're like merging, trying to get off to Rosedale. I need peace and forgiveness. That's what I need. I need that when there's people. Community is where character, the character of Christ, the image of God is fully born out in your life. Guys, we're not going to get through this. Okay. You got to get through this. You got to get through this. Only older people know what that is. And that's not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples kept telling them, we have seen the Lord. 
But he said to them, if I don't see the mark, this is Thomas speaking, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. After eight days, his disciples were indoors again. So we don't know if this happened on the eighth day when he said this or that he had been for eight days saying to them, there's no way that happened. There's no way he showed up and showed you his side and showed you his hands. No way. Didn't happen. He's not alive. I mean, I want to believe it. Like, I'll believe it until, I will believe it when he does that and shows me what he showed you. But until that, I'm not in on this. I'm not in. I'm not sure. I, I question that. I have some skepticism that Jesus would have risen from the ground. I saw him do a lot of cool things, but death, death is the final word. Death is this thing that never goes away. Death is the thing that gets everybody. There's nobody who beats death. Thomas, like many of us, I believe, is saying, There's, I can't, what? No. You're going to have to show me more than just, y'all, I've seen y'all cower in fear when the waves showed up. I've seen, I've seen you guys not be able to perform the miracles. I've seen you try to send people home when Jesus said to feed the 5,000. I've seen all of you do things that you all regret, and that's not even all in the Gospels. I've just known y'all since you were teenagers. I'm sorry, but I can't quite believe you. This would be the greatest prank in history, I'm not going to do it because the moment I say yes, you're going to say gotcha, April Fool's, whatever the case might be. And, and so, so these guys, he doesn't believe it. After eight days, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood them among them and again says what? Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, then he said to Thomas, not, not after Thomas had, had told Jesus his doubts, not after Thomas had told Jesus, no, this isn't possible, not after... Thomas had said all the things that he needed to say. Jesus shows up and goes directly to Thomas and says, put your finger here and observe my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be an unbeliever, but a believer. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. It's the first confession of faith we have in the Gospels. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Those who believe without seeing are blessed. No, he's not saying that those are two different levels of people. He's saying both will be blessed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. The goal of the Gospels is not to chronicle every single thing Jesus did, but was to give you enough of a glimpse of who Jesus was that you would believe. Because faith is not about ideals. Faith is not about behavior. Faith is about Jesus. Jesus on a cross. Jesus off a cross. Jesus seated beside the Father. Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And I, I know this doubting Thomas thing is what usually gets recognized when you talk about Thomas, you, you, you tend to be people, we tend to be people who like, again, to label. We tend to put these people in different boxes. Uh, but, but Thomas, I think, ultimately was just asking the question that every single one of us would have asked. I think every single one of us would have been in the same place as Thomas saying, there's no way I can believe this. There's no way I can trust this. And see, we've put questions and we've put doubts and we've put frustrations in this box of lack of faith, bad people, you don't love Jesus enough. 
we, we've, we've put this idea that somehow when you ask a question, and we do this even currently in society, any question asked of anything given by some authority figure, if we ask a question, then somehow we are being bad, angry, evil, wrong. No, I think, listen, I think our beliefs as believers should be able to withstand scrutiny. I believe they should be able to withstand skepticism. I believe they should be able to withstand, at the very least, a question or two. If we can't, as believers in Christ, as 1 John says, just telling people what we've seen and heard so that your joy may be made complete, if you and I can't handle that, then what have we actually seen? And what have we actually heard? So we want to, we want to condemn questions rather than answer them. Now here's the problem. We tend to go into this space of when we, were, when we have a question answered to, asked of us, we want to go in and explain all the answers rather than simply point them to Jesus. We want to, to and I listen, I'm always up for a good argument. I'm so down for that. And I'm always down to argue even if I already agree with you, but it's just more fun to do the whole thing and to like really, and, I, and listen, when I poke and prod, it's usually because I want to know that you actually believe what you're saying. The worst thing, I'll read William Barclay so that in case you get mad, you can listen to him. William Barclay is one of my favorite commentaries on the Bible. And he says this, There is more ultimate faith in the man who insists on being sure than the man who glibly repeats things which he has never thought out and which he may not really believe. It is doubt like that which in the end arrives at certainty. And certainty is not faith. And when a man fights his way through his doubts to the conviction that Jesus Christ is Lord, he has attained a, to a certainty that the man who unthinkingly accepts things, he can never reach. There is just so much more to Jesus. There's just so much more to him than we ever allow because we don't want to dig into the questions. One of the most beautiful things when we went through Alpha, we're standing out, we were standing in the parking lot, uh, we were doing everything we could to, you know, it was COVID safe and everything. And we were, we were here and we were answering questions. We were talking about what our journey is like in Alpha. And some of you guys don't know what that is. We will talk more about it over the coming months because we're definitely doing it again. It's really just a conversation around life, faith, meaning. And one of the most amazing things is watching people share their story and talk about the things they didn't realize. I remember, and Steve doesn't mind if I put him on the spot. Steve, he, Steve gets up and goes, man, honestly, I, I just re was reminded that everyone who walks in these doors doesn't think everything I think. And it makes me more curious. I remember Lindsay Lowry talking about, and I hope, hopefully, I, Steve, I know. Lindsay, I hope you're good with it. Okay. Uh, Lindsay, Lindsay, said, Lindsay said, you know, I, I had things that I've grown up with and things that I'm learning now, and so, sometimes I felt like those things were at odds and that I had to pit them against each other, and now I'm realizing that maybe they needed to help perfect one another and that maybe I can arrive out of this thing with even a greater measure of faith. Did I say that right? I don't, it's kind of like that? Yeah, okay, cool. Well, I'll let you come up here someday and share it yourself. <laughs> We, we have to be willing to ask questions. And the reality is, is that Thomas didn't do anything that the disciples didn't do. The reality of this is that, that Thomas purely just, all that happened with Thomas is that he got the proof later than they did. All that happened with Thomas is that he wasn't there when they did it the first time. So sometimes people get to Jesus later than you do. That doesn't make you better than them. 
That doesn't mean that you, 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 they somehow messed up. Maybe they had to run an errand. Maybe the grocery list was longer than they thought it would be. You know, Jesus just kind of showed up. It wasn't like it was on the schedule. Thomas is upset. He's mourning. His rabbi, his teacher, his leader had died. He's gone. Most humiliating way you could possibly die. You could forgive Thomas for not being there when he was supposed to be there. And yet Thomas shows up and says, I won't believe. But he leaves this room, right? He leaves space for like, but I will. See, I think that's the one thing that we have to understand, that, that, that questions often reveal more things than they conceal. And the reason we don't like questions is sometimes that means we have to step into mystery. We have to step into like, oh, I've not figured that part out. I'm just going to stay away from that for now. And yet it's when we step into that that we begin. To, have you ever been camping? I'm not much of a camper because every time I go camping with like tents, not like cabins, like tents. When I do that kind of camping, it always rains. Always. Even in, we, we went camping with the guys not long, well, several years ago, and, and it was hot as it could be, and then it still rained. And then it got hot again. And so camping just ain't my thing. It's like going fishing. I don't catch fish, and I definitely don't want to wait for them. And so, uh, but, but when you go camping, you go out far enough, you look up into the night sky, and what do you see? Stars you never see when you're in the places you know. There are parts of your faith and parts of your walk with Jesus. There are elements of who you are in following Christ that will never be discovered until you are sitting under the night sky. There are parts of your, of your faith that will never be found until you have stepped into the night and looked into the sky and said, I didn't even know this is what it looked like up there. See, our unwillingness sometimes as believers to step into the questions and not always have the answer, but simply to question with people. Yeah, I wonder. And to trust God enough that in the wonder, he would be found. See, the ancient church didn't think mystery was a bad thing. They thought it was a good thing. When mystery came and they said, oh, we don't know the answer to this, they didn't go, oh, don't, mm -mm, no, no, no. No, they would look at mystery as a thing to be embraced because it was another part of God that they had yet to discover. It was another part of God. It was like another leg on the stool that the Bible and Jesus and mystery, this, this space that we have yet to discover. Do we really believe that we figured it all out at this point? Do we really believe? Listen, every generation thinks it's come to the place where they have finally arrived at the supreme knowledge of all things. And it's why as you get older, you get more annoyed. Because you look at younger people and you go, you really don't know. Quit being so arrogant. Um, uh, N.T. Wright says this, part of the difficulty is that Jesus was and is much, much more than people imagine. Not just people in general, but practicing Christians. See, I don't think doubt's a bad thing. I think cynicism is a bad thing. I think doubt, doubt's just a kind of part of the journey. Doubt is the place where you ask the question in the hope, like Thomas, to be able to believe. One of the greatest things Mary said as we first started Alpha, and we were digging into some really big questions, Mary said to me, she goes, you know, I just love watching people fight for their faith. That doubt is not evidence that you somehow 
have lost faith. It is the evidence that you are doing everything you can to obtain it and retain it. Doubt is the, is the continuing to walk it out and at each step going, oh, I didn't understand that. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, when that person died and I didn't, when that person, I didn't understand. When that person, doubt is when those hard things come along and you're still going, but I know God loves me. How do I reconcile these things? How do I handle when it doesn't go the way I thought? But he promised that I would get this thing or have that thing and it doesn't feel that way. And it's in the darkest of moments that you discover elements and parts of Jesus you never would have, and you wouldn't be the person you are without having discovered them. Now, let me say this to you. Dallas Willard, again, I'm just quoting everybody else because they are people you can be upset with. Dallas Willard says it like this. One of the, he's brilliant. Lived in a small town in some weird place in California. I mean, and I do mean weird. Like, it was a weird place in California. Just wrote stuff. He says this, if you are going to be a doubter, be sure to doubt your doubts as well as your beliefs. I want, okay, I'm going to read that again. because okay. If you are going to be a doubter, be sure to doubt your doubts as well as your beliefs. Believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts as well as doubt your beliefs and believe your doubts. This is about how knowledge grows. And knowledge grows not only by doubting your beliefs and believing your doubts, but by doubting your doubts and believing your beliefs. In other words, you might just be wrong about what you think you're wrong about. There's a lot of deconstructing happening. I don't think that's a problem. Look, generation, every generation has to deconstruct something from the generation prior to it. Always. That's not. Every generation has to do that. We all have to deconstruct things. What I don't want to do is leave a bunch of people homeless. What I don't want to do is so deconstruct that there's nothing left to stand on. Because Jesus said he's what? The rock. So you can build whatever house you want to build, as long as you do it here. As long as you build it on me, you could, you could, I mean, you could do the outdoor garage. You could do whatever you want. Just build it on me. Jesus. That's why the creeds are not 48 pages long. They're like four stanzas, and you're done. The ancient creeds of the church are, let's major on the majors, and then we'll step into the mystery of everything else. Jesus I want you, yeah, he's not worried about your doubts or your questions. He's big enough for those. He knows he is the way, the truth, and the life. He knows that, so he's not worried about it. What he's worried about is when we get into cynicism and we get into the place that we believe everything is wrong and there's nothing right and nothing can be good and all things are bad and everyone with that label obviously hates other people and everyone with that label is obviously this and obviously that and gets into a place where we don't have room for belief or hope or, or, or joy or vision. We can't even see the horizon because we've got our face so down in the dirt that we believe everything is bad. God's not afraid of your doubts. But he, is a, he absolutely worries about losing your heart. He wants to keep you close to him so that even in your questions, even in your worries, even in your doubts, you have someone to speak to. Now let's get back to Thomas because Thomas uh, says something here that's, that's really important. I, I, I don't know that you guys uh, have heard this and I know that I maybe hadn't heard this before, but um, I, well, I've read it before. Maybe I just didn't put it together. Doubting Thomas. I, I just imagine Thomas is sitting up in heaven going, is that really all you remember about my life? Like, is that everything? I don't know if you've ever been labeled. 
Or you're ever in a conversation and someone says that one thing about you and uses it as a generalization about who you are completely? Oh, it's the worst. And you just kind of have to smile like, hey, it's so funny. It's, it's like, we, I don't like labels. I don't think they're really good. I don't think whether you want to use liberal, progressive, Republican, conservative, Democrat, I don't think any of those are really all that good. Especially if you're using it to hurt people, to be mad at people, to be angry at people. It, if the differences around people are causing you just to be angry, well, that's not what God intended for you. See, that's, that's us becoming cynical to the point that we don't see possibility. That we don't see a sun rising. All we know is the sun went down. And that's all. See, we've all been, and I'll, I'll post this later. Uh, someone that I listened to recently talk about uh, a message called After Doubt. Curiously enough, we didn't get it from that, but it's cool that we're in an After Midnight series. But when you come through the dark and the sun rises, you have discovered something about yourself in the dark that you get to live out in the light. And one of the things that he, he uh, uh, spoke of in, in, in all of this, this After Doubt um, uh, message is that we are, all of us, being handed things, even by C3 forward, being handed things about our belief, about our faith, about who we are. Your kiddos are learning things, and all of these things are happening. And one, let me just tell you this. I don't expect you to walk in here every Sunday and listen to every word I say and treat it the same as this. I don't. And if you do, then you're not, you're, you're not doing your part as the person who listens and goes, oh, hey, Brandon. Now, I don't want a bunch of emails every week either. I got friends for that, okay? But... You should take what I say home and go, okay, really? I'm cool with that. I'm okay with that. I'm going to give you everything that God, I feel like, has given to me, and I want you to take home. But the second thing is to understand that we've all been given things in church life. Every one of us has been given things by a family, a body of Christ. All of us have been given those things, and many of those things are good, and some of them aren't. All of us have been given things from parents. All of us have been given, no, I love you, mom and dad. All of us have been given things from families, from churches, and so many good things. I can tell you all the amazing memories that I've found in church and the friends and the people and the, and the beliefs and the foundation and the hope and the vision and the purpose and all. And I can also tell you a few things that weren't okay. Because the church is made up of imperfect people doing their best to follow Jesus. And the more we frame it that way, the more people will begin to respect the idea that maybe, just maybe, they don't have it all together, but my goodness, they're pointing at someone that does. And so Thomas, Thomas, hey, I don't think I can believe this. I, I want to remind you of a couple other things Thomas did. And then I want to remind you about how we see Jesus, because again, that's the whole point. Thomas in John 11, Jesus, uh, Jesus is one, someone that he loves, Lazarus, dies. And they've called for him, and he doesn't go right away. And then Lazarus ends up dying. And so the people there are upset. Lazarus' sisters are upset with Jesus. And, and so they, he goes, Jesus says to his disciples, hey, let's go. Let's go back uh, to, to Judea. And, uh, and so they, they, Jesus goes, let's do it. And, 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 and Thomas speaks up in this moment and says, let's go with him and die. That's his phrase. Let's go back with him and die. Now, why is he saying that? Because the last time Jesus was there, they tried to stone him and kill him. So, so, so Thomas knows that if they go back to where Lazarus is, that it is a good chance that Jesus dies and that Thomas dies and all his friends die. He knows that. That doesn't sound like someone who doesn't have faith. That doesn't sound like someone who's kind of with you. Like, I'm 
I'm not sure about this dude. No, let's go and die. It's one of the most courageous statements you'll ever find in the Bible. He still doesn't fully understand resurrection at this point, but he's willing to die with Jesus. John 14. You know that verse that we always say, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. That's Jesus. One of the most great, the greatest revelations of who Jesus is, is that statement. The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. You know how we got that statement? Jesus says, I'm going, and you must follow. And Thomas asked a question. It says, how are we going to know which way to go if we don't know where you are going? And Jesus responds, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You know me, so you know the way. It happened because doubting, tardy Thomas. Wasn't okay with just saying, yeah, that makes sense. Wasn't okay with just repeating anything and everything. I'm not telling you to, I'm not telling you to go every time you come in, nope, 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 nope. Don't be that person. That's, that can be a little bit wearisome. But Thomas was willing to ask a question because he didn't fully understand what Jesus was saying. And you know what Jesus didn't do? How dare you question me? How dare you look at me and wonder about a statement that's very mysterious and unclear about what I'm doing? I'm doing it, so let it be done. No, he goes, oh, I got, I got an answer for that. I'm the way. Okay, I, I still don't completely understand, but I appreciate you answering the question. And then what happens later when Thomas is young as disciple buddies and going, no, I'm not going to believe. There's no chance I'm going to believe. No way is that going to happen. I'm not doing it until I see, until I see Jesus, his hands, his side, until I see what you guys got to see. And Jesus shows up eight days later, shows up in the room. And as Simon McIntyre, because I reached out to him and said, what should I say about this? He oversees all of our C3 Americas. Great guy. And he says, he says, well, we can condemn him, but Jesus revealed himself to him. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you're right. I, I think I'm going to say that. Jesus doesn't show up with condemnation for Thomas's doubt. Jesus doesn't show up with some, some brilliant presentation. He says, Thomas, look, I want you to show that painting. This is a painting from 1600s. Um, the incredulity of St. Thomas. Now, the, the painter of this was actually caught in a lot of scandal. Um, and up until 1600s, I know I'm not going to try to say his name, uh, but up until the 1600s, they, most people believed that Thomas actually touched Jesus' scar. It's pretty graphic. It's pretty, like, pretty intense. Pretty wild thing, but to see Jesus, to see Jesus in the middle of a room with his disciples, I'm obviously here to see Jesus pull back his shirt to say, here, I, I'm God and I will bear scars for you. I'm, I am resurrected and I still have the scars I bore for you. This was unheard of for a resurrection to come back and for that 
for that resurrected God to somehow still have the pain, still have the hurt, still have the broken. If you want to find Jesus, don't look at the victors. Look at the broken. Because Jesus will always be found on the cross given for people. He will always be found resurrected going, this is what I've given for you. This is who I am to you. I do not condemn you for the questions you ask. I reveal myself to you in the questions because it says to me that you're looking for me. I mean, I feel like he said something of the sort when he says, seek and you'll find. Ask and you will receive. Knock and the door will be open to you. To me, this journey of faith is a journey of going, God, I don't understand how I'm going to reach this. I don't understand how I'm going to live this out. I don't fully get how you lived again and I'm meant to live again. I don't, have, I don't understand it. There's a parable that Jesus spoke in, uh, in his ministry. And he says, uh, he says there was a um, nine, 100 sheep and one gets away. One gets away. And he said, a good shepherd will leave the 99 and go find the one. There were 10 disciples in a room eight days ago. And Jesus appeared to them, showed them the scars. Thomas was missing. Jesus could have gone on, appeared to all other people. Instead, Jesus comes back eight days later. Hey, Thomas, I'm a good shepherd. I'm not leaving you behind. I'm not letting you straggle. I'm not letting you figure it out. I'm not letting you question it. I'm not letting you know, be a believer because I'm coming back for you. These guys are good. I've come here for you. I didn't come here for them. Peace to y'all, Thomas. Peace to you guys, Thomas. Look, look, I love you. I'm here. I resurrected. You can live this thing out now. This is for you. That's the Jesus we serve. He's not leaving you in your doubt. He's right there with you. And you will, as you continue to walk this thing out, you will find out things in the night sky that you never knew existed, that you never knew about Jesus. You will discover his proximity. You will discover his closeness. You will discover his hope. You will discover his certainty, his unflinching, unwavering presence in spite of all that goes on. You will discover a God that you will need come to the sun. You will discover God that you will walk with in the daylight. He has come back for you. Hey, this is who I am. This is who I am. Let us be the church that doesn't condemn the questions, but reveals Jesus, shows Jesus for who he is. Because where unity is, is anointed. Where 11 disciples are unified, there's refreshing. Where 11 disciples are unified, there's blessing. I breathe on you and go and do what I've called you to do because you're anointed for it. I will refresh you in it and I will bless you because of it. Lord, I thank you so much for today. I thank you so much because this is the day you made right now. Yeah, this Easter Sunday, the one where we still see a Savior on a cross bearing all things, enduring all things, keeping no record of wrong, not being boastful or prideful. We see the resurrection of Jesus, the one who 
defeated death, took away the sting, showed up to a doubting Thomas. But maybe, just maybe, like the ancient church fathers, we should call Thomas blessed. Because in his questions, we find out more about Jesus. We discover more about who Jesus is. Some of you right now may be going, that's me. That is me. I didn't know the scars are for me. I didn't know he would come back to me. I have some questions. I didn't know that I could have questions and still have faith. I didn't know I could have questions and still believe. I didn't know I could have that. But today, I want to be able to live fully and completely. I want to look on the night sky in the difficulties and the midnights of my life and see elements and pieces of Jesus I never knew existed. I want to know Jesus that way. I want to know him through the difficult things. I want to know him through the questions. And I want to discover, I want to come out the other side so confident in who Jesus is. Believing, trusting, faith-filled. Because he let me see his scars. Because he didn't leave me behind. Because he showed back up in the room when he had other things to do. And said, Thomas, I'm here. I came back for you. If that's you this morning, and you just say, you know what, I want to, I just... I want to step into Jesus, even with my doubts, even with my questions. I want to step into Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to ask you to do one thing, and this is it. I want you, in your own heart, in your own mind, I want you to pray this prayer. And it's simple, and it's easy. It's not wordy. I just want you to say something like this. In your own words, God, I give my life to you. That's it. God, I give my life to you. Jesus, I give my life to you. My sin, my failure, my mess up. I give my life to you, and I trust you with it. I give you my questions, and I trust you with it. Jesus, I thank you for forgiveness. I thank you that you removed my shame and my guilt, and I step into this fully and completely. God, I thank you for today. I'm going to give you 30 seconds, and then we're going to worship. When we start worshiping, I'd love for you to stand back up. But I want to give you 30 seconds. I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit right now. I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me specifically? I know what Brandon said, and I appreciate what Brandon said. It was, it, was, it was good, but what are you saying to me? What am I to do with this? Some of this may be unfamiliar for some of you, and that's fine. Just You can just hang, or you can, you can try this out. Say, Holy Spirit, speak. Holy Spirit, come. Speak to me in the way you want to speak, in Jesus' name.